This is a good life, serving God. This is a good life to be saved. This is a good life to be in church. I don't know where I would be had Jesus not come into my life. I don't know what I would have spent last week doing, but but, uh, because of the Lord, I could say that this is a good life. Jesus was speaking and he had spoken some harsh sayings, some difficult things. In verse number 34 and 35 of Luke 14, he said, Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? And then he says this, he says, is it, it is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He had spoken this saying to two groups of people. The publicans and the sinners were there. And by the way, interesting about the publicans and the sinners, they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear. Verse number 15, the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Teenagers, isn't it funny? We had a time at camp. Uh, I've got to say this parenthetically. We had a time with the PA system at camp, and uh, I'm giving you guys time to give me a thumbs up and to tell me that we're good, and we're not. So we had a time at camp. The, the PA system went out on me Monday night or Tuesday night while I was preaching. It went out. So I think, I think God's trying to tell me something, all right? I need to get another job. But um, PA systems, man, man's best friend. <laughs> The publicans and the sinners wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They knew who they were. They knew that they didn't have it all together. They knew that that they had fallen, that they weren't perfect. And so it really didn't matter what Jesus said. It really didn't matter how hard it was. They wanted to hear, the Bible says, in chapter number 15 and verse number 1. Man, I always want to be in a place where I want to hear what God is trying to say. Because there's another group of people in the story. And they're found in verse number 2, the Pharisees and the scribes. They had no interest in hearing what Jesus had to say. They were watching And the Bible says they were murmuring. The publicans and the sinners were were hearing. But the scribes and the Pharisees, look at verse number 2, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They weren't interested in hearing what Jesus was trying to say. They were watching him. They were watching him uh, receive these sinners. They were watching him interact with those who had fallen, those who were dirty, those who had made mistakes, those who in some cases were criminals. These Pharisees and these scribes, they weren't interested in listening. They were watching and they were murmuring. You know what I found after 20 years of being saved? It is easy for me to stop listening and to just watch and complain. It's very simple to just sit back and to watch everything that's happening and to murmur. The scribes and the Pharisees watched and they complained. And then they got together and in the spirit of criticism, with the intent to malign, and damage the reputation of Jesus. They deliver one of the most glorious phrases in the entire Bible. What they said on this day has lasted longer than anything that ever came out of their arrogant religious mouths. What they said that day 
day. Trying to harm Jesus has brought hope to people for 2,000 years. It has cheered my soul. It has brought hope to people all across the world. Look at what they said. The Bible says in verse number 2, This man receiveth sinners. Why don't you say that with me out loud? Can you say it with me? Here we go. Ready? This man receiveth sinners. Man, it sounds like you woke up and found out that your mother-in-law was moving in with you. I can say that because my mother-in-law is out of town. Say it with me, man. Say it like you mean it. Ready? This man receiveth sinners. Say it again. This man receiveth sinners. I was telling my wife this morning, I said, Minda, I said, I have a lot of thoughts swirling around in my mind. I said, I, I just have a million things to say, and I don't know if I can put it all together. And my wife gave me some great preaching advice. She looked at me and she said, Abdel, just do this. <laughs> she said, she said, uh, just sit down and clear your mind and write down every thought that you have. She said, and then see what pops off the page. And, and, and go with it. Just don't, don't give us all of your thoughts today. That's what she said. She said, you're tired. She said, just preach the Bible and have some fun. And so as an obedient husband, that's exactly what I went to do. Last night, this morning, I sat down to write down all of my thoughts. And the very first thing that I wrote down on the page was, this man receiveth sinners. And it took a long time for me to write anything else. I looked at the words on my little paper, this man receiveth sinners. And I began to think to myself, I am saved because this man receiveth sinners. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life because this man receiveth sinners. I have a beautiful family, not because I'm good and not because I deserve it, but because this man receiveth sinners. Man, I don't know about you, but even on a Sunday morning, I can get excited about the fact that this man, hey, he receiveth sinners. I've been placed into the ministry. Uh, tomorrow, I'll drive to Wisconsin and be there with a group of mainly lost teenagers. And then on be there Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday and Thursday, I'll be in, uh, on the Gulf Coast preaching to uh, a large youth conference. And, and God has given that to me, not because I'm special, not because I'm talented. I was laughing. I, I was thinking about uh, one of the first conversations I ever had with Pastor Wilkerson about the prospect of coming here to be the youth pastor. Brother Eddie, you were there. We were at that Polish restaurant. You remember that? The Polish place on Calumet uh, Avenue there. And uh, pastor sat me down and began talking. He said, Abdel, he said, he said, what are your spiritual gifts? And I remember looking at him and saying, I don't know. And he said, okay, okay. This is how you win a job interview, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't know. He said, I said, I know what you're talking about. I said, you're talking about like Romans chapter 12 and, you know, all of those things. I said, Pastor, I, I know that people take tests and try to figure out their spiritual gifts. I said, I've never done it, so I really don't know. And then I made this statement. I said, Pastor Wilkerson, I said, honestly, I said, I have no marketable skills. <laughs> he said, okay, all right, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he said some things and... Eventually, I came and 
A few years later, we were together in California and uh, going through an In-N-Out drive-through. How many of you like In-N-Out? Yep, overrated. But anyways, give me White Castle all day long. But uh, I remember that conversation. I said, Pastor, I said, I said, uh, Remember, remember at the Polish restaurant, you asked me what my spiritual gifts were? He said, yeah. I, I, said, um, I said, well, you've been with me for three years, and you've observed me. And I said, I said what do you think? What do you think are my spiritual gifts? <laughs> he said, you know, Abdel, as, <laughs> as, uh, as people get, draw closer to God, God <laughs> gives them multiple gifts. And, and I think uh, you just need to keep drawing closer to the Lord. <laughs> He was saying, I've been trying to figure it out, but you have no marketable skills. <laughs> you want to know why I'm here? I'm going to give you one good reason why I'm here. I'm here because this man receiveth sinners. Man, I woke up this morning tired, but I have the joy of salvation because this man receiveth sinners. And when I go to sleep tonight and pillow my head, I'll do it with the peace of God in my heart because this man receiveth sinners. And as I walk through life and as you walk through life, you will never walk alone. Think about that, church. You'll never walk alone because this man receiveth sinners. And someday when the sun turns to blood and the mountains turn to ash, I'll be in glory with God because this man receiveth sinners. Our church is 134 years old and there's a danger in having a church that's been around a while. I'm going to give you the danger. We've raised generation after generation in the house of God. We've memorized the verse, I have a goodly heritage. And if we're not careful, we can get over the joy of our salvation. Amen. If we're not careful, we'll think that it's always been this way in our family. And my friend, it's not always been this way. I promise you, I don't care how many generations have been sitting in this church. I don't care how long the family line is. If you trace it back far enough, you're going to find the story of some old sinner that was empty, that needed God, that learned this man receiveth sinners. And because of that, he got saved. And now you're here. And don't ever get over the joy of your salvation. This man receiveth sinners. In Luke 15, Jesus gives three parables, but really it's not, it's not three parables. It's one. You really can't look at the one without the other because they complete each other. He paints a picture of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 7. The lost sheep, now, now this is, stay with me, this is interesting. I was thinking about this. In these, pictures, in these stories, the, the lost sheep was outside of the flock of God. You know the story how there were 99 sheep and, and uh, one had drifted off. Uh, look at just verse number three. The Bible says that he spake this parable unto them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. He tells the first story about this sheep that was outside of the family, outside 
outside of the flock. He goes on to give another story, not about a sheep, but about a coin in verses 8 through 11. The coin was inside the house, but it was lost. You know it's possible to be inside the room and lost? You know it's even possible to be in the family of God, but lost, directionally lost, wandering around of no value. And then he gives the story, the famous story, verses 11-32 of the, of the son who had left the house and was lost, but now he's coming back home. All of these stories, I'm here to report to you that that which was lost was eventually found. And each story is a picture of the grace of God. You say, Brother Judah, what is the grace of God? The grace of God, I've got this shotted down. The grace of God, number one, is God loving. God loving. I don't know who you are this morning, and I don't know if you're outside of the family of God, or maybe you're inside of the house, but you're a little lost. I want to say to you that God loves you. The grace of God is God loving. The grace of God is God finding. God finding. Man, he found that sheep that had gone astray. Uh, she found that coin in the house that had been lost. God lifting. God lifting and finally God giving. Each story is a picture of the grace of God. And in each story, there is joy when that which is lost is found. You ever think about this? Think about this. There are not a lot of things that can make heaven a happier place. I mean, I've been to Disney World one time. They call it the happiest place on earth. And to some degree, I agree with them. How many of you have been to Disney World? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you have been. It's great. You go there and it's designed to put a smile on your face, to keep it there. You have a few days of rest and relaxation. Everybody is happy. Then you start to get tired from all the walking. Then you get hot in the Florida sun. Then you go home and you realize that that friendly mouse <laughs> stole all your money. <laughs> he had a smile on, on his face, but he took every dime that you had. You got to get a second job to pay for it. Think about heaven. You don't have to pay for it. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think about heaven. There's no disease there. You'll never hear the word cancer there. You will never uh, anxiously await a medical test result. There's no disagreements there because there's no sin there. There's no financial pressure there. Money is worthless. They pave the streets with gold. There's no death there. Think about it, my friends. There'll never again be a casket. There'll never again be a lady who is standing in front of a casket saying goodbye uh, to her husband. There will never again be a mom and a dad saying goodbye to a son and a daughter prematurely and grieving. There's no death there. There's no crying there. There's no, uh, uh, it is not just for a few days. The Bible says that it's forever. Revelation 21.4 and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. And watch this, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Man, when we get to, when 
that. What a day of rejoicing that will be. It's hard to make heaven a happier place. But there is one thing that gets the attention of heaven. There is one thing that brings a little bit more joy uh, to that heavenly city. There is one thing that I found in the Bible that causes the angels to stand and to applaud. And that is when that which is lost is found. This man receiveth sinners. Now how does he receive sinners? This is a simple message. We may even be done early today. And all God's people said? We'll see. How does this man receive sinners? Number one, lovingly. Lovingly. You think about that story of the sheep in verse 3 through 7. You think about how he was outside of the flock. Outside of the family. Wandering in danger. 99 were safe in the fold, but one had wandered away and was on the outside looking in. And when the shepherd goes to retrieve the sheep, he doesn't berate him. He doesn't uh, criticize him. The Bible says that he takes that sheep, he finds the sheep, and he takes it, and he places it. Look what the Bible says in verse number 5. He layeth it on his shoulders. Rejoicing. This is interesting. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6, talking about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. One shoulder for the entire weight of the government. One shoulder to bear the, the, the government and the workings on planet earth. But when it comes to... One sheep. Jesus lays the sheep on his shoulders, using both as if to say, uh, listen, I'm going to stabilize you, and I love you, and I've got a hold of you, and you're not going anywhere, because when he receives sinners, he receives those sinners lovingly. If you're here this morning and you're outside of the family of God, if you're lost and never been saved, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is looking for you and Jesus wants to place you on his shoulders and he wants to do it lovingly. We were at camp and I, I, I won't embarrass anybody, but I have to tell the story. Man, we were at camp and it was a tremendous week. We had taken 90 some teenagers, I don't know exactly, 94, 96, something along that line. And for the first three nights of camp, man, it was great for everybody. Everybody was spoken to and all the teens were making decisions and, and it, was, it was great. But on the last night, perhaps the most special night of the entire week, Friday night, just a couple of nights ago, Jesus had put together a service, not for the 90 and 9, but for one. Jesus had put together a service for one person that was on the outside looking in. A man had given a testimony about his salvation, and while I was sitting there, it's like, God, I'm, I, listen, I'm not trying to be weird, but in a voice as loud as any that I have ever heard impressed on my heart, God said, Abdel, after this testimony, you get up there, and you talk about salvation, and you tell some stories, and you encourage these young people to check their salvation if they've never been saved. I debated about whether or not to do it. I didn't want to add time to the service, but I got up and I began to tell some stories about some young people here and in other places uh, that were uh, in church and from good homes, but that needed to be saved. And when the service was over, one of our finest got up and went to the back and through tears 
accepted Christ as their Savior. Man, it was awesome. What kind of a God pauses an entire sermon uh, service? What kind of a God puts the 99 on hold to go after just the one? I'll tell you what kind of a God does it. A loving God. And if you're here today and you're on the outside looking in, if you're here today and you've never been born again and you're not a part of the family of God, he'll put everything on hold. He'll call a big time out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus loves you today and he died for you and he wants to carry you inside of the family of God. You can be saved today because this man receiveth sinners. How does he receive sinners? Lovingly, lovingly. How does he receive sinners? Patiently, patiently. You ever lose something? Who's lost something before? Raise your hand. You ever lose something? First thing you do is accuse somebody of stealing it, right? Brother Eddie's close. It was him. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm the world's worst. I lose. I lose everything. And, and I am very accusatory. My wife has stolen my wallet more times. <laughs> my kids steal my cell phone. You ever go about trying to find it? And just the, the irritating, you know, you ever say to yourself, I'll just buy another one. <laughs> you know, you lose your kid, I'll just buy another one. No, but uh, just kidding, that was terrible. That's camp coming out. No, but uh, this, in, in, in the story of the coin, the Bible says in verse number 80, there was a woman having 10 pieces of silver. If she lose one piece, doth light a candle. Man, imagine losing something in that day. You don't even have lights to turn on. You got to get a candle and light it. And sweep the house. Guys, we'll never find it if we got to sweep the house. But and sweep the house, the Bible says. And seek diligently till she find it. There's a patience involved in finding something which is lost. And let me just say to you, if you're sitting here today and you're inside of the house, but you're not where you ought to be with God, if you're inside of the house and you've fallen, that coin had fallen, if you're inside of the house and you don't feel very valued, you know that coin had no purchasing power. It was lost. I mean, it had the ability to buy something, but not while it was lost. It was under nobody's possession. Had no purchasing power whatsoever, lost. You know, I've known a lot of Christians, and they have been Christians, and they have, they, they've been a part of the family of God, but even within the house of God, they have fallen, they have stumbled, and they find themselves lost. They find themselves saying, man, can I ever be used again? Could it ever be like it was? Is there anything left for me to do in the will of God? I want to say to you that Jesus is looking for even you and he's looking for you and he's looking for you patiently and it may take a while for you to come to yourself but I'm telling you as long as you're breathing God's air there is something still for you to do church family in the house of God. There's someone for you to there's some value that you can bring to this church and to this world. What, how does he receive sinners? He receives them lovingly. He receives them patiently. The coin was lost. It was not in circulation. And in some cases there are Christians here and you are not in circulation. 
You've made mistakes and lost your testimony and messed up. And listen, my friend, just because you're not in circulation now, you keep on coming. You, you look to God. You repent and get right. And he can put you back into circulation and give you some value again for his kingdom. How does he receive sinners lovingly, patiently? Boy, I like this. Unashamedly. You ever think about that? They were criticizing him. They were, they, were, they were criticizing him, saying, look at what he's doing. Look at who he's with. He's eating with these people. He's, we, 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 thought, we thought he was a rabbi. We, we thought he was a great teacher. No great teacher would be with publicans and sinners. And you want to know what? Jesus didn't apologize for it. Man, I like that. He didn't go on an apology tour. Unashamedly, he receives sinners. In the story of the prodigal son, some very interesting thoughts there in that story. The Bible, we know the story, and I've preached on the story even in our church before, and so I won't take forever. But the prodigal son had gone out and had wasted his life. The Bible says he was literally in a hog pen. Filthy, dirty, messy. That's what the world will do. It'll leave you filthy, dirty, and empty. And the fun that he had for a few days was over. And his friends that were with him while he had money were gone. And in the midst of the filth of the hog pen, he comes to himself. Everybody who's ever been inside of the father's house eventually will come to themselves, eventually. He comes to himself and he makes his way home. And the Bible says that as he's making his way home, the Bible says in verse number 20, he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. First of all, it was out of custom for an elderly man to ever run. You never see God running in the Bible, the father running in the Bible, except for this time right here. It was showing that he had no dignity. That's kind of what it meant to run as an older person in this day and age. But the father sees the son and the father runs to the son as if to say, listen, I don't care what people think. I don't care if this is breaking custom. I am unashamed of my son. I will run to him. And then the Bible says that he kisses him. I was doing a little bit more study on that. And it, it literally means he kisses him, you know, again and again and again. I mean, he's just so happy. And then I had this thought. He hadn't even cleaned up yet. He goes straight from the hog pen to his father's house. He probably smells like a pig, all dirty and messed up. His clothes are tattered. And the father doesn't even look at him and say, no, go get cleaned up. And, and we've got a robe and some shoes and we've got some stuff waiting for you. Go ahead and put it on and then come back here. No, no, no. The moment the father sees him, he runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses on his neck unashamedly. And I'm telling you, this man receiveth sinners and he receives them without apology and unashamedly. Sometimes people think, you know, I got to get cleaned up and have, I'm not everything I ought to be and, and there's some past that I'm not proud of this man receiveth sinners you come to Christ he'll receive you with open arms he won't apologize for it perhaps I've told the story before and I've got eight minutes and I'll tell it quickly but my wife told me to have fun so I'm gonna have fun I love this story we were making 
seeking visits in West Virginia, I knocked on a door, and a man answered the door. When he answered the door, it was middle of the day, one, two o'clock in the afternoon. And he came to the door, and he was, he was, you could, you could smell the alcohol. You could smell it as soon as he opened up the door. Barely able to talk. I mean, he was in his late 50s, maybe early 60s at the time, a West Virginia mountain man. You know what I'm talking about? Big bushy hair, big old beard, missing a tooth right here. As soon as, I opened the, oh, as soon as he opened the door, I heard country roads take me home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he was, he, he, was, he was drunk already. Perhaps even drunk from the night before. We were talking to him, Pastor Lamb talking to him. We couldn't make sense of much. Gave him a track and just kind of left. A couple of weeks later, he shows up in church wearing the exact same outfit. Starts coming to church every Sunday morning. Joe, I'll never forget the Sunday morning he came and came down to the altar after a few weeks of being there. He came to me and he said, Brother Jude, I want to rededicate my life. I've been saved, but I want to rededicate my life. I said, let's do it, Joe. I made sure of his salvation and he was saved, but he had lived a life of alcoholism. He had lived a life where every single day, every single day, after he got out of the service years ago, he had turned to alcohol. And this man had literally lost everything, had lost his health, he had lost his family. I found out that he came from a wealthy family. They owned some transmission shops in town, but he had burned those bridges years ago, decades ago. And he found himself there in West Virginia, just bouncing around from place to place. Moving when the rent came due. He said, I want to rededicate myself to Christ. I said, okay, let's do it. And he bowed his head and he rededicated himself to the Lord. Maybe we could put it like this. He was lost without value. But he came to himself and he was found. And I just want to say this. For every Joe that stumbles into the church when they get saved or when they rededicate them li- their lives, there is rejoicing in heaven. Amen. A few weeks later, we're having a bus promotion, and Joe, Joe uh, raised his hand. He said, can I join the bus ministry? I was a youth pastor, the bus director of the church. I said, absolutely, Joe, you can join the bus ministry. He said, really? I said, yeah. He was just so unassuming. He said, he said Brother Judah, he said, you know that problem that I have? I said, yeah, I think I know it. He said, well, I still kind of have it. Are you sure I can join the bus ministry? I said, well, Joe, I'll tell you what. I won't make you a driver, but... <laughs> But you could show up and pass out some flyers, you know. And he did. He'd come. He didn't have a license. He would walk everywhere. Pass flyers out for the bus ministry. And, and uh, a few weeks of that went by and we were having a big day. We wanted to break every record in the church. I forget the exact number. It's not important now. But it would have been a record-setting day for the church. And I said, I said, we're going to do this. We're going to... Uh, have these prizes. I don't even remember what the prize was to bring the kids in. I said, but uh, let's do it. And I was passing things out and Joe raised his hand. And this is what he said. Joe was on bus number three. I was on bus number one, captain. Joe raised his hand and he said, brother Judah, that one tooth missing. He said, brother Judah, he said, he said, I, I bet you, I love new converts. They don't have it all right. You know, You're only supposed to bet outside of the church, not inside of the church. He said, Brother Judah, I bet you that bus 
bus three is going to have more tomorrow than bus number one. I bet you. And I said, oh, okay, Joe, okay. And I tried to put it off, you know. Like, oh, okay, Joe. He said, no, 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 I'm serious. I bet you. Just speaking out of turn. I said, okay, Joe. I said, Joe, we don't bet in church. All right? We don't bet. And he just, he, it's like he didn't even hear it. He said, if bus three has more than bus number one, you have to kiss my toe. I'm like, okay. He said, but if bus one has more than bus number three, I'll kiss your toe. I'm thinking, well, neither option sounds good to me right now. I dead sure don't want to kiss that nasty toe. And I'm not real thrilled about Joe, you know, kissing my toe. It's just, I don't want, I don't want that. And I said, Joe, come on. And he said, are you scared? And I'm looking at the bus workers, the, the seasoned, you know, the, the, the mature Christians. Like, help me out. And they're sitting there with big smiles on their faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, all right, Joe. I said, I said, deal. And when I said deal, man, he just jumped. He was so excited. The way we ran those big days with the Lord's is we would all go visit for a few hours, and then we would meet for lunch and, and kind of rejoice all the bus routes. Then we would go back out visiting. We'd meet for dinner, and we would just encourage each other and rejoice. We didn't do that every week, but we did on the big days. Joe grabbed a clipboard. I pass out clipboards that were blank. They had 25 names to a 25 spots on a page, and we would fill them out. It was what we did for big days. Joe grabbed a clipboard, and he ran out of the church, excited. I was the last one to leave. I turned everything off. But as I left, it was like the Holy Spirit said, Abdel, uh, you better get with it today, man. You better go find some people. That guy's excited. Now, mind you, I had the largest bus route in the church, and I had been to Bible college, and I had the biggest area, so I wasn't too nervous about it. But God said, you better get to work, son, or else you're going to have a nasty taste in your mouth. But... I went out visiting, made some visits, came back, and met him for lunch. And long story short, it was a summer day. It was West Virginia. It was hot, summer, West Virginia, humid heat. Like walking through a wall of fire. Or wall of water, I'm sorry. <laughs> wall of fire, too. But ring of fire, whatever. But uh, we were went to the McDonald's. And you know how you walk into McDonald's, the first thing you hit is the air conditioning. Man, it felt so good. And as soon as I walk in, Joe is there meeting me. He's there. Big old toothless grin on his face. He said, how many? How many? How many did you have? And I said, Joe, I, I did good. I looked at him. I said, Joe, the Lord blessed. And he had blessed. I had nine or ten visitors in just a, just a few hours, Brother John, nine or ten visitors coming, first timers. I said, the Lord blessed. He said, let me see your paper. <laughs> I said, okay, Joe, I'll show you my pad. I show up. Look at that, man. Nine, ten people. Look at that. He got a big smile on his face. <laughs> Started laughing. I said, well, Joe, how many do you have? This real spiritual exercise here, you know. I said, how many do you have? And when I said that, his bus captain, Brother Veach, came, and he said, Brother Judah, Brother Veach is a live wire. He said, Brother Judah, I have never in my life seen somebody go after people like this man has gone after people today. I said, really? He said, he has talked to everybody. He has been everywhere. He's at the bus stops, at the parks. He's, he's everywhere, just on the street. He's passed out more flyers. He's got, I said, how many, Joe? He showed me one full page, complete, 25 names. Then he looked at me, smiled with that toothless grin. He showed me another page, almost full. And the fear of God struck my heart. 
and the chicken McNuggets that I was waiting to eat suddenly said, depart from us, you worker of iniquity. And I looked at Joe and I said, well, Joe, I'll tell you what, we're not done yet. I said, I'll see you, see you later on tonight at dinner. And I took off and I went after everybody I knew in the town. I called the teenagers who had slept in, who were still playing their Xbox. I said, look, man, I lined them up. I, I said, meet me at the church. They got there. I looked at Brad. I looked at Cord. I looked at several of the others. And I said, you know, I said, this is big. I said, you know that I love you, right? Whenever the youth pastor says that to the teenager, Brother Eddie, that means we need something, all right? There's tables to move. There's chairs to put up. There's tents to set up. I said, you know I love you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, I don't want to kiss Joe's toe. They're wiping the sleep out of their eyes. They're confused. What? I said, Brad, you don't want me to kiss Joe's toe, do you? No. I said, Cord, you don't want me to kiss Joe's toes, do you? Uh, I don't know. I said, no, you don't. I said, I want you to get out there and I want you to find every... I, I'm passing out clipboards and papers and... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm calling them every two minutes. You get anybody yet? No, Brother Judah, we just got out here. Come on, work, go, go. We got to the Hardee's that night. And I pulled into the Hardee's. And when I pulled in, I'm looking for Joe through the glass. Where's he at? If he was standing at the door, that's a bad sign. I saw him. He was in a booth. He was slumped over, head down. And I thought to myself, good. <laughs> It's terrible, isn't it terrible? I should think, like, we want as many as possible to come to the Lord, you know? I thought, good. It's not easy getting out there. He had beginner's luck. <laughs> the first couple of hours, this, this is hard work. I walked in and went to Joe. Leaned over, he's still sitting in the booth, dejected. I said, how many? He looked up at me. I said, how about you? I said, well, Joe... So the Lord's been good to me. I gathered all the papers from the teenagers. Didn't tell Joe I had other people out there working for me, but I gathered all the papers together. I said, he's given me, and I, I went through, I forget however many it was, 50 some. Then he looked up at me and he said, is that it? I said, yeah, that's it. He stood up straight as a soldier, big old smile on his face. Brother Veach came over. He said, I have never seen anybody. I said, sit down, Brother Veach. That guy had papers upon papers of, of visitors. I mean, prospects, over a hundred, well over a hundred. I said, you know, all of a sudden I'm not, not hungry anymore. And I went back out there. Long story short, we were visiting and went back to a prayer meeting that night. Normally it was just me and the preacher Saturday night. Joe was there. Had his papers spread out. Pray. Let, can I say this? Less than two months prior to this, I'm knocking on his door and the smell of alcohol. Yeah, come, on. come on, are you with me? Yes, sir. He had lived decades. No value. Yes. Not impacting anybody for good, let alone for God. Now he's showing me papers of names the guy could hardly write and, he, and they, it's all scratched out. And he's praying over them. It was my custom to be the last one to leave the prayer meeting, turn the lights off. And, uh, and I did that. I thought I was the last one. I thought everybody was gone. I went to go lock up the church and do all of that. And I heard a noise in the corner of the auditorium. I walked over there and there in the dark of the auditorium, Joe was there. He had his papers out in front of him. He was praying for those young people. Dear God, please help so-and-so to come, and please help so-and-so to come. I saw that. I immediately was struck with fear. 
I went back to my corner and I said, dear God, I've lived a clean life. God, I've been good. I've never been drunk one time. Please honor me now. You know, Help all those visitors to come next week, but not tomorrow. And I began to pray. The big day came the next day. And man, we filled buses. We broke every record. It was tremendous. Joe pulled up on his bus, buses, multiple vehicles, both of us. It was the largest day in the history of the church. I had 165 on my bus route. Man, that's a great day there in West Virginia. Joe pulled up. I thought there's no way. I said, how many? He said, how many did you have? I said, no, you tell me. No, you tell me. We did that for a while. I said, 165. He smiled. I said, how many, Joe? 180. I said, no way. He said, 180. I said, man, this is an election. I'm counting again. And uh, 180. Sure enough, he had 180. <laughs> I'm sitting Sunday morning in the choir loft, looking at the church family, and somehow word had gotten out to the church that after church, Brother Judah was going to kiss Joe's toe. And it was like, you know, a bunch of gossips in the church, a bunch of scribes and Pharisees. People whispering, Brother Judah's going to kiss Joe's toe. Brother Judah's going to kiss Joe's toe. I'm sitting there watching it happen. Pastor Lamb, my mentor, my father figure, he may even have said, hey, friends, we have a special treat today. And if you would like to see our assistant pastor kiss Joe's toe, go to the fellowship hall after church. After church, it was standing room only. People were lining the outside of the fellowship hall, looking in, old people, crutches, wheelchairs, walkers, wheeling over. I'm thinking to myself, man, I thought you people loved me. You know? <laughs> Anyways, I walk in. As soon as I walk in, the place erupts. Kiss the toe. Kiss the toe. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. I walk over to Joe. He's sitting down, and I look at him, and I say, Joe, everybody's cheering. I said, Joe, this is your chance to do the right thing. I said, Joe, this is your chance to be honorable. You don't have to do this, Joe. He looked at me, and he nodded. Kiss the toe. Kiss the toe. Joe stood up. Like a king. He said, I have an announcement to make. Da, 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 da. Everybody grew quiet. He grabbed the microphone. I thought, thank you, Joe. He's going to let me off the hook. He said, I want everybody to know, I knew this day was coming. <laughs> he said, it was hot yesterday, and it was. He said, and I want you to know, I didn't take a shower or nothing. And then he sat down and he took off his shoe and his sock and he revealed an appendage that he called a toe. This thing was gnarled. It had a hair wrapped around it. The, the nail was a greenish yellow color. It was nasty. Kiss the toe. Kiss the toe. And I thought to myself, oh man, there's no way. I got down there and already I'm formulating a plan. You know, we're going to kiss the toe, but hey man, look, just one, just a quick, just a and gone, just a pack, you know. Uh, they get in and get out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I got down there and Joe was one step ahead of me. He had been one step ahead of me the entire time. I closed my mouth, my eyes. I opened up my mouth to just give a little quick, quick little pack. And when I did, he took that. I could feel the waves of heat coming off of that thing. The smell was already choking me. And, and I went in for the kill. And when I opened up my mouth, he took that toe and he shoved it in my mouth. And the whole 
was nasty. And if you go to Landmark Baptist Church today, right now, this Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, you'll see bus three pulling into the parking lot. You'll see a man, to my knowledge, still with no driver's license to my knowledge. Beard has been trimmed a little bit, but he's still repping West Virginia. You'll see him get off the bus, the Bible in his hand, like the Pied Piper leading a trail of kids into Sunday school. Boy, he was that lost coin inside of the family, but of no value, dirty, covered up. But when he came to himself, he found a great God that lovingly and patiently and unashamedly said, Joe, if everybody else has kicked you out, I'll bring you in. He's living his life, for the rest of his life, valuable to the service of God. This man receiveth sinners. He receiveth sinners. If you're lost, you need to be saved today. If you're in the house, but not everything you ought to be, listen to me, man. If everyone else has given up on you, we still have a God that will unashamedly carry you to a place of value again. They meant it as a hateful thing. To me, it brings more hope than anything I've ever heard in my life. This man receiveth sinners. He received me as a 14-year-old teenager, and he'll receive you as well.